good singing. Please take your Bible with me this evening and turn to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. Title of the sermon this evening, Be Ye Doers. Have you ever noticed how much easier hearing is than doing? Have you ever noticed how much easier agreement is than alignment? How much easier it is to agree with someone than it is to actually align? How much easier it is to hear something than it is to take what you've heard and actually enact it, do it in your lives? This day was kind of a bad day for me. Sarah uh, had uh, Emily here and and Emily is, is a good friend of ours from time past, not just of Sarah's, but of mine. But, of course, anytime you have guests, what is that an excuse for? Junk food. Guests is an excuse for junk food, right? It is, indeed. And so, we had been doing pretty well, I thought. Uh, Friday, not much mention of junk food. Half of Saturday, not much mention of junk food. And then came Saturday night, and all of a sudden, it's time for ice cream and s'mores. And hot chocolate, because we had just gotten back from a walk, and we were all kind of chilly, because it was a cool wind, and we'd gotten cool over time, and all of a sudden it's time for ice cream and s'mores, and and here we go. Well, you know, it's easy enough to, when you think about junk food, uh, whether it's um, drinking a lot of pop, or eating a lot of chips, or uh, cookies, or cake, or whatever it is, it's easy enough to hear all of the reports, right? These things are bad for you, these things cause problems, these things, diabetes, these things cause high cholesterol, high blood pressure, all of these things. It's easy enough to hear those things. It's even easy to agree with those things. Yes, I agree, junk food is bad for me. I agree, these things are going to send me to my grave early. I agree, all that stuff. But, aligning, agreeing is different from aligning. Aligning yourself with what you know. Doing that which you understand is an entirely different ballgame, isn't it? It's an entirely different ballgame. Well, you know, it's the same thing spiritually, isn't it? Walking through 1 Corinthians, this has become particularly evident to me. How many, uh, as, we, as we speak on the liberties that we have in Christ, and as I seek to evaluate my family and our situation, how easy is it for me, in a manner of speaking, to get up here every week with my notes and my Bible and to give you the fruit of my study? How easy is it for you to sit there and nod your head as I speak on doctrine and, and faith and the Word of God, and I boldly proclaim the Word of God, how easy is it for that head to bob up and down? To agree, to hear. How much more difficult is it to live these things? To take that which we know and make it that which we do. And it's very interesting, as we get into Ezekiel 33 tonight, as I was writing this sermon, I was excited because... God does something very interesting here. We are at the chapter, the chapter, the chapter where Jerusalem finally falls. The chapter where all of those promises of God... Remember several weeks ago, we had talked about that time where uh, there was no more time for repentance. 
where it was set now, where this was the day where it was going to happen, where Nebuchadnezzar had set his mind against Jerusalem. Well, today we will find the day where Jerusalem finally is destroyed after a year and a half siege by Babylon, after all of the things that had happened. This was the day. And on this day, God is going to have a review session. You know at the beginning of the school year, for some of us, some of us go the whole year around until this summer from what I understand, right? But you know the typical beginning of a school year where you spend the first six weeks just reviewing that which you did last year because you've forgotten it all because you had a whole summer to forget it? And there's not really anything new necessarily, but you're having to kind of re-get in the groove, relearn things a little bit, rework into the whole system. And as you're doing so, there's just a lot of, remember when we did this? Remember when I told you that? Remember how we did that? Remember how we got those answers? Well, God's going to have a review session for Israel tonight. It's been a while, God says. And it's time to review some of the things we've talked about. It's time to review some of the things I've told you before because today they've come to pass. So let's remember them this evening. Ezekiel chapter 33, I invite you to look with me. I begin in verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchmen, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head." He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. Then God says, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman under the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word of my, at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity but thou hast delivered thy soul. I, the first half of this chapter is, in a manner of speaking, review, as I've mentioned. God is going to say things to Ezekiel that he has already said at various points in the book. And we begin with words that we have not seen since way, way back in Ezekiel chapter 3. I don't even know. Was anyone in this room here for Ezekiel chapter 3? I don't think anyone was. I think it was just the Grismores and Troy at that time way back in Ezekiel chapter 3. So you haven't heard it before necessarily. The Premans say they were here as well. But uh, Ezekiel, way back in Ezekiel chapter 3, we heard these words about the watchmen. And recall what God had said. You can always go back and listen to it online, by the way. In Ezekiel chapter 3, God placed it upon Ezekiel this call as the watchman. A man whose duty it was to warn the people of the danger that was to come. In verses 2-6 through six of, of our chapter today, 
God reintroduces the concept of the watchman. He says, Ezekiel, remember what a watchman is. Remember how that, that duty of a watchman works. That a watchman is called to be the man that is watching for the enemy. If he does his job, then he cries aloud when the enemy is coming and then it is up to the person himself to decide whether he's going to listen to the watchman or not listen to the watchman. But the duty of the watchman is to call. If he doesn't cry out that warning, then the blood of the people is on his hands. Verses 7 through 9 are a reminder of not just what a watchman is, but of the fact that Ezekiel is a watchman to the house of Israel. That God had specifically ordained Ezekiel to be that man. The man that was to cry out the warning of God's judgment. God's judgment is coming and you need to heed the call. You need to repent. You need to do what is right. It was not up to Ezekiel to make them listen. It was not up to Ezekiel to twist their arm and and tell them you have to do this. It was simply up to Ezekiel to cry, to warn the people. And God said, if you, if you warn them, if you don't warn them, then the blood of the people is on your hands, Ezekiel. If you do warn them, Ezekiel, then the blood of the people is on their own hands. Then it is, it is them who are personally responsible. Ezekiel's success in his ministry had absolutely nothing to do with whether or not the people listened to his warning. And it had everything to do, rather, with whether or not he sounded the warning. Way back in Ezekiel 3, we made application to this. And we said that in some ways it is similar to our circumstances today. God had called Ezekiel to be the watchman to Israel. And in many ways, the Great Commission tells us that we are those that are called upon by God to cry out the Gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world around us. Our willingness to deliver the message of the Gospel may make a difference between somebody accepting or rejecting the good news of Jesus Christ. Now that being said, the success of our ministry has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not people obey the Word of God. The success of our ministry is not contingent upon the people's response to the Gospel. It's not contingent upon the people's response to the message. Our success in ministry comes as we proclaim the Gospel. Our success comes when we are faithful to proclaim the Word of God, to herald the Gospel, and then to let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Our success is not being a a, a successful salesman but rather an obedient messenger. So the first review lesson that God gave to the nation of Israel and to Ezekiel was the reminder, the review of the watchman. There's a second review lesson that God gave in verses 10 and 11. He reminded Israel and reminded Ezekiel that he has absolutely no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is another message you might be familiar with. One found in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32. God does not want any man to die. Notice what He says here in verse 10 and 11. Therefore, O son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his wicked way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. 
For why will ye die, O house of Israel? Perhaps you remember that message as we preached it and heard it. God does not want the wicked to be destroyed in their sin. God desires them to repent of their sin. He says in verse 10, Why pine away? Why wallow away in your sin? Turn from your sin and live. How should we then live in our sin? Much rather, God tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that He is not willing, not just that the wicked should not perish, but in 2 Peter 2, 9, excuse me, He says, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Our application to this message was one of introspection. To what degree we find joy in the death of the wicked rather than mourn for the souls of men as God mourns the souls of the lost men. To what degree do we rejoice when the wicked find their end in destruction and judgment as opposed to mourning that another soul just entered into eternity without seeing the truth and hearing the truth and accepting the truth of Jesus Christ. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked and we should have no pleasure in the death of the wicked either. So the first lesson that God reviewed is the lesson of the watchman. The second lesson was the desire that there would be no man that would die, but that all would turn from their sin and live. The third lesson we see in verse 12, the lesson of the doom of the unrighteous. This was a lesson taught by God in Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. Verse 12, God says, Therefore thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. This reminder is reminiscent of that promise in Ezekiel 14 that even if Noah and Daniel, and Job were in the city, God told the nation that only those three righteous souls would be saved from terrible judgment. The righteousness of the righteous would not be able to save the wicked from the consequences of their sin this time. In that message, we applied this warning to ourselves, if you recall. When we decide to go our own way, remember... God might just let us go our own way. We talked about Balaam, the permissive will of God. That if we in our hearts decide that we are going to go our own way, it might just be that God is going to throw up His hands and say, okay, fine, you go that direction. You go toward that sin and you see what happens. Because He has tried to divert us and He has tried to call us back to Him. And we have refused even though we know the truth. So we said if we decide to go our own way at the expense of God's will, He might just let us go. That there is a time where the long-suffering of the mercy of God is filled to the brim and He must begin chastening the rebellion out of His children. And as we heard this message, we were exhorted to learn the lesson that God has for us to learn the easy way before God is forced to teach us the lessons the hard way. Because God does chasten His children. In verses 13 through 20, 
These are the final verses of God's review. Notice what he says beginning in verse 13. What shall I say to the righteous? That he shall surely live if he trust to his own righteousness and commit iniquity. All his righteousness shall not be remembered, but for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. Again, when I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die if he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right. If the wicked restore the pledge, give again that, that he had, had robbed. Walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity. He shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins that he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right. He shall surely live. Yet the children of thy people say, The way of the Lord is not equal. But as for them, their way is not equal. When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, he shall even die thereby. But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. Yet ye say, The way of the Lord is not equal, O ye house of Israel. I will judge every one after his ways. This should have been familiar to you as well. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 20-29. through 29. Remember the message, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The reality that we are all responsible for our own sin. In those verses, back in Ezekiel 18, God promised that if a righteous man commits iniquity, he will suffer the consequences of his rebellion. Likewise, if a wicked man turns from his iniquity, he repents, he will find mercy with God, that each man will bear the consequences of his own sin. The children of Israel called God unjust for this action. For many times in history, the righteousness of a few had spared the judgment upon the many. And many times in history, the remembrances of God's mercy upon the righteous had delayed His wrath upon the current generation of wickedness. Now, as we applied this message to our hearts and lives on that, during that message several months ago now, we contemplated the importance of every one of us being personally responsible for his own sin. That the law has concluded us all dead in our own sin and, and in doing so, Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross of Calvary became sufficient to cover the sin of every man. It was a message of rejoicing, in fact, knowing that the soul that sinneth it shall die because since you are responsible for your own sin, since you will die for your own sin, and Jesus Christ came and He took upon Himself the sins of every man, the fact that you are personally responsible for your sin means that you do not have to go to hell because your dad sinned, or because your mom sinned, or because your family has a track record of sin. Or you do not have to go to hell because your children are terrible. But that because you are responsible for your own sin and Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, that you can be redeemed through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it is you who makes that decision before God. You are not dependent upon any other per person to secure your salvation. Your salvation doesn't depend on your parents. Your salvation does not depend on this church. Your salvation does not depend on a pastor or a bishop or a pope. Your salvation is a personal transaction between you and Jesus Christ. So God says, remember that lesson. Remember when I taught you that. Remember that the soul that sinneth it shall die. Four review lessons that God gave. Why would God do this? Why would God give all of this review here in Ezekiel chapter 33? Well, look with me in verse 21. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the seventh month, excuse me, in the tenth month, in the fifth day of the month, 
that one that had escaped out of Jerusalem came unto me saying, the city is smitten. The date is the fifth day of the tenth month of the twelfth year. Ezekiel was called to begin prophesying in the fifth year of his captivity. When you do the math, you find that Ezekiel had been prophesying now for about seven years. And on this day, something very significant happens. The city was smitten. Recall in Ezekiel 3.26, God commissioned Ezekiel and told him that he would, never, he would not be able to speak again until God had allowed him to speak again. And he said, except when God had a message for the nation, Ezekiel would not be able to speak. Now at that point, Ezekiel had no idea when or if he would ever be able to speak again outside of the messages of the Lord to the people of God. But then in Ezekiel 24, remember the day that Nebuchadnezzar had set his heart against Israel? In Ezekiel 24, God declared that His purpose was now fixed, that the time of repentance was past, that the city would surely fall, and as a sign of that fall, God said, you will know the day when the city falls... And he said, as a sign that this will surely come to pass, Ezekiel, your wife is going to die that evening and you may not mourn. You remember that message? And he said in verse 27 of Ezekiel 24 that the day the city fell, Ezekiel would regain his ability to speak. That his mouth would be freed from God's charge and he would be able to speak freely. Well, so it was. In the fifth day of the tenth month of the twelfth year, seven years and two months after Ezekiel lost his ability to speak, God opens his mouth again. Look at verse 22. Now the hand of the Lord was upon me in the evening, afore he that was escaped came and had opened my mouth. So before the man had even shown up, the man that had escaped, before he had even shown up, the mouth of Ezekiel was open. He says, until he came to me in the morning and my mouth was opened and I was no more dumb. But this was not a time for rejoicing. In fact, I would imagine that the moment Ezekiel was able to speak again was a time of great sorrow for Ezekiel because he, had, he knew at that point the city had fallen. And all the terrible things which God had promised to do to Jerusalem had come to pass. And so it had. In verses 23 through 29, God promises that those things that had not yet come to pass would still come to pass. To this point, everything had rung true, and God says, Don't think it's going to be any different moving forward. God has opened Ezekiel's mouth now, but he's not finished speaking through Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came unto him again, according to verse 23, and this message was one of confirmation promising that everything God had spoken would indeed come to pass. Let's read it together. Son of man, they that inhabit, verse 24, they that inhabit those wastes of the land of Israel speak, saying, Abraham was one and he inherited the land, but we are many, the land is given us for inheritance. Wherefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, ye eat with the blood, and ye lift up your eyes toward your idols and shed blood, and, ye shall, and shall ye possess the land? 
ye stand upon your sword, ye work abominations, and ye defile every one his neighbor's wife, and shall ye possess the land? Say thou thus unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, As I live, surely they that are in the wastes shall fall by the sword, and him that is in the open field will I give to the beasts to be devoured. And they that be in the forts and in the caves shall die of the pestilence. For I will lay the land most desolate, and the pomp of her strength shall cease. And the mountains of Israel shall be desolate, that none shall pass through. Then shall they know that I am the Lord, when I have laid the land most desolate, because of all their abominations which they have committed. The message was one of confirmation. On that day, as God had promised time and time again, the nation of Israel will know that God is the Lord, that the remnants of Israel that are still clinging to their false gods will be destroyed according to the judgment of God, and they shall know that He is the Lord. One more message given to Israel that we will look at in chapter 33. In fact, this date, the date here in chapter uh, 33, verse 21, this is the last date until chapter 40. The rest of the prophecies, until the the prophecies of of the Millennial Temple, will be right here at this last great date. Verse 30. Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. And speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what the word, uh, what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh. <clears throat> and they sit before thee as my people. And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lonely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. God says, Ezekiel, even after all this has come to pass, Jerusalem has fallen, they still don't regard you. They still don't listen to you. They still don't believe you. God tells the people, you would come, you would sit, you would listen, you would commit to Me with your mouths, you would express your love for My words, but your heart was never with Me. They come and they say, hey Ezekiel, hey pastor, hey prophet, great message today. I liked that one. That was a good one. When you were kicking over Israel, Jerusalem, that was, that was a pretty good one. When you were laying on your side for a long time, that was a good message. That one was really impacting. I really felt it deep down. Yeah, that one about the colorful bird and the vines, that was, I love that imagery, Ezekiel. Great job on that imagery. That one really, it it stuck with me. I'm still thinking about the great colorful bird today. They heard it. Their voice was with the prophet of God, but their heart wasn't. Didn't change a thing. And that's our application this evening. Tonight we reviewed seven years of prophecy. Tonight we reviewed at least five sermons that I've already preached. And as you think about all those sermons that I've preached and all of the lessons that we've learned from from the Lord in Ezekiel 14, Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel chapter 3, you heard them all. How are you doing on them? 
Has anything that has been mentioned from all of those lessons sunk into your heart? Changed the way you've lived? Had an impact upon your Christian life? Are you a heart Christian or are you a word Christian? What do I mean? Isaiah 29 verse 13 prophet says this concerning Israel. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. See, God described the nation of Israel as being a people whose mouths talked a good talk with regard to their relationship with God. They had plenty of good things to say about Jehovah and His commandments, but for all their good works, excuse me, all their good words, their works remained unaffected. For all that they listened to the Scriptures, many of them had even memorized gigantic portions of the Scriptures. For all that they agreed, yep, the Scriptures are right. The Scriptures can't be broken. The Scriptures are 100% true. They heard them. They knew them. They agreed with them. But they didn't obey them. They didn't obey them. For all that they said, Jehovah is God, they didn't actually obey God's commands. They made up their own pseudo-religion. They called it God's law and they became loyal to it as a substitute for God's law. But it's not just Israel that's guilty of this, is it? There are many under the sound of my voice that hear a great deal of preaching every week. And I understand Your pastor is not the best preacher in the world. I guarantee it. Your pastor doesn't always have the best words to say. doesn't always explain things clearly. But I do feel confident that on a weekly basis, I am delivering unto you the truth. Even if it is a little bit rough around the edges. And as we go our separate ways, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, I do from time to time hear people come up and say, Pastor, that was a really good message. Pastor, thank you for that one. I really needed it. Pastor, I I appreciated that. They're pleased to thank me for the message. They're pleased to identify with the truth of the message. But you know, just because we praise the message or just because we praise the messenger just because we can honestly and genuinely say, I agree with what was just taught and I believe the Bible is true. This does not under any circumstances imply that you are one whose heart is aligned with God and His message. Just because you know it, just because you agree with it, doesn't mean you're doing it. And see, that was the problem in Israel. They sat around Ezekiel and they said, Prophet, tell us what God has to say. And they listen and they eat it up and they say, great job, prophet. And they walk away and they ignore it. God has reviewed at least four passages of Scripture here tonight throughout seven years of Ezekiel's ministry that the nation of Israel heard, said, great job, prophet, and ignored. And every one of those has been a sermon from behind this pulpit. How have you responded to those sermons? Have you said, great job preacher, that was a good one, I need to listen to that one again, and ignored it? 
or has it come and found root and become a part of your life? The danger is that we draw near to God with our mouths and we honor God with our lips, but our hearts and therefore our actions are far from Him. Proverbs 23 verse 7 reminds us, however, that what defines a man spiritually is not based upon what is on his lips, but rather what is on his heart. Proverbs 23 7, For as he, a man, thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. See, it's not about the man that says, friend, eat and drink. It's about his heart. It's about what he's thinking about you in his heart. A person is not your friend just because they say nice things about you when you're there, are they? Have you experienced that? You've been around someone and they, oh yeah. When you're around them, they're your your best friend. But then you hear what they say to others when you're not around about you. And you realize they're not your friend. They're with you in word, but they're not with you in heart. They're with you in outward appearances, but they're not with you inwardly. It's not about what a man says with his lips. It's about what is in a man's heart. So the question is this. Are you a heart Christian or are you a word Christian this evening? Is what you say with your mouth about the Word of God? Is what you say with your mouth about God's Word being true? Is what you say with your mouth about God being sovereign and God being all-powerful and God being your God and your Father and your King, is it, is it also what your heart is saying? Is that what is coming out of your actions on a daily basis? Is how you treat your brother and sister reminiscent of someone who has taken the Word of God and lived it? How many of you believe Ephesians 6.1 that we are to honor our father and our mother? How many of you believe that verse is true? We all believe it's true. How many of you have lived it this week? How many of you are not just raising a hand, but are raising a heart to that statement. Yes, I am to honor my father and my mother. It's the first commandment with promise. Please turn with me as we close to James chapter 1. Look with me in verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, James says, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. James warns us in verses 20 through 2 through 24 that the man who is a hearer but not a doer is like a fool who would look into a mirror see his face and see problems, smudges, hair all messed up, realize that he has problems, but as soon as he walks away from the mirror, completely forget he has problems and goes about his day as if nothing's wrong. 
If I were to walk into the mirror before church and I were to take a look and I had broccoli all in my teeth, and oh wow, I got all that broccoli in my teeth. And then I say, I better take care of that. And I walk away from the mirror and all of a sudden I go on with my life as if nothing's wrong. Well, you know what? I acknowledged I had broccoli in my teeth. I saw that that broccoli in my teeth made me look less than appealing when I opened my mouth. And yet I did nothing about it. So what good did it do me? What good does it do me if I know something or if I agree with something but I don't act on it? What good does it do me if I'm a hearer but not a doer? If I'm a knower but not a liver? Rather, verse 25 tells us, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. We need to be the one that looks into the mirror of God's Word. That's what James is saying here, that this is a mirror. When you look into the Word of God, do you know what you see? You see yourself reflected back in all of your sin, in all of your ugliness. You see God in His perfection through the Word of God. And when you see God for who He is, it shines a light on who you are, and it's not pretty, is it? Never is. Now you are in Christ. When God looks at you, He sees Christ. You know that you're in Christ. You know you're on your way to heaven. You know you stand before God blameless and unreprovable in His sight. And yet, you know that you still have sin. And when you look into the Word of God, verse 25 says, if you look into the perfect law of liberty and you see yourself for who you are and you understand who you are and who God is and what He expects from us and you continue in it, not being a forgetful hearer, not being one that says, oh wow, look, I'm a real sinner. I can't believe all the things I'm doing on a daily basis, all the ways in which I offend God's Word. And you walk away and say, yep, I completely forgot about all that. Time to just go back and do my sin again. But if you will look into the perfect law of liberty, see what God's Word has to say, understand who you are in light of who God is, understand your downfalls, get on your knees and ask God to help you, and then get up determined to do the work. Determined not just to be a hearer, but a doer. James says that man is blessed in his deed. Now perhaps you're listening to me this evening and you realize that you have been a hearer but not a doer of the Word of God. That you have heard four, five messages from this pulpit about the concepts that we've reviewed tonight and you've heard them and you agreed with them, but you know you haven't done them. Or you're thinking about our morning series in 1 Corinthians and all of the things we've talked about over the past several months and you know you've heard and you know you've agreed, but you haven't done them. Like the people in Ezekiel's day, you listen to the messages, you say, good job, pastor, that was a good message. And then you continue in your life as if you'd never heard the words to begin with. May I encourage you to allow what is upon your lips to move down into your heart? How? Pinpoint your sin. Repent of your sin. Not just the sins that you have ignored, but the sin of ignoring God's Word because you've known it. And you haven't obeyed it. See, this begins right now in the moments to follow as we have our time of Selah, of pinpointing those things in your life where you've been a hearer but not a doer. And then you remove the sin. This is where you deal with it. You repent of it. Then you, 
You remove it. You deal with it. You get it out of your life. You, you move in a different direction. Those things that you have agreed about with your lips, but not with your heart, you agree with them in your heart and you begin as soon as we're finished here to live a different life. Don't just stand, away, stand up and walk away from the application. Do something about it. And then reveal the change. Live the change. Continue to be determined in your heart to live what you know from God's Word by replacing the sins that you had in your life with activities of virtue that would bear spiritual fruit. Even if your heart is determined, it can easily slip into old habits if you don't replace those old habits with spiritually beneficial habits. Now I know that the Holy Spirit works on each one of our hearts in different ways and in different degrees from week to week. But if you are a believer in this room, then I am 100% confident that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart because the Bible promises that He is. But where I lack confidence is whether or not the things which you know are right and which you agree with me are right are actually going from here and here to here. I don't know that for all of you. And what I do fear is that we, as a church, like Israel, might become one that draws near to God with our lips, but in our hearts we are far from Him. God forbid we should ever be that way as a church. If God has convicted you of a particular sin over these past weeks or months, various sermons, if the Holy Spirit is bringing those things to your mind now, decisions you know you should have made but didn't, things you know you should be doing but aren't, may I beg you not to simply walk out of here and go your way like the fool that looked into a mirror and then straightway forgot what manner of man he was. Don't pretend like nothing has ever happened. Draw near to God with your heart, not just with your lips, and watch what God will do in you and through you. Let's pray together.